Well, Pastor Audie's out of town. He's preaching at a church down in Bernie this morning. So he asked me to come do this. Unfortunately, I had a supplement to his handout and it didn't get printed. So I'm going to wing it for, since you're not going to be able to know what I'm talking from. We're in the book of Genesis, obviously, and we're about where Cain is. Cain just got cursed by God for killing his brother. And uh, I would like to go back sort of to the beginning of Genesis for just a minute. And we've got 1,600 years here from Adam to Noah. And we're going to get to Noah today. And that, when you lay it out on the Bible uh, schedule, that's 1,600 years from Adam to Noah. If you look on the back last sheet of your uh, handout there, there's kind of a genealogy chart that uh, Pastor Audie put out. I have a chart here that shows linearly when they were born, when they died, and how many of them were alive at the same time in the, in the, fall, in the uh, line of Seth. So I'd like to start out with uh, a couple of things that unfortunately you don't have the copy of this because it didn't get printed. But the sin of Adam and Eve and the sin of Cain have a common root. And it is, it is the essence of sin, according to St. Augustine, and it is common to all, according to C.S. Lewis. And he says, that which we hate when we see it in others, we seldom, if ever, see it in ourselves. Any guess of what it is? Pride. Exactly, pride. And we never see it in ourselves, and we hate it when we see it in others, and everybody is infected with it. So, what did the serpent the serpent promised to Eve when he talked to Eve in the garden. He said, well, she wouldn't die. She would get knowledge and she would become like God. And if that isn't pride, I don't know what it is when she fell for it. Now, what did the serpent deliver in knowledge? They found out they were naked and they were guilty and they became ashamed and they became afraid. So, the serpent, being the father of lies, proved himself right in the beginning of Genesis. Sin did not start with the eating of the fruit, but when the thought began to dwell in the mind of Eve and Adam. When we do our confession downstairs, we say we have sinned against God by thought, word, and deed. And our thoughts are sins just like our deeds are sins. If we dwell on those thoughts now... You can't help thoughts from flowing through your mind. But when you stop them and start dwelling on them, then they become a sin. In James 1.14, and you were supposed to have a print out of this, but you don't. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. That's his own pride, really. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. In other words, sins dwells in the mind and the will as far as well as the deeds. What is, another question, what is original sin? We talk about it all the time. What is it? Is it the sin of Adam and Eve or is it something else? Any takers? The sin, original sin is the effects or consequences of the sin of Adam and Eve. Uh, let me find it here since I... In Genesis chapter 8, 
The intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. That is the effect. That is original sin. And it's the result of the sin of Adam and Eve, not the sin of Adam and Eve itself. If you remember, it's very possible that God forgave Adam and Eve. One, they were basically repentant. They were shameful. They were hiding from God. They were shameful. And then he covered them with, with skins. And I would say God forgave him. Now, when you get to Cain, it's a totally different story. So, let's see. Oh, the intent of man is, is evil from his youth. Now, that's in chapter 8. In chapter 6, which is before the, that's after the flood. And before the flood, in chapter 6, he gives a similar tight statement. Is, I will not strive with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days will be 120 years. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. Now that's God's judgment before the flood, and it's the same judgment after the flood. Okay, what are the consequences of sin? What are the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin, of Cain's sin? Basically, they're threefold. You got separation from God, you got separation from others, and separation from yourself. Sin separates you from God, and sin also separates you from yourself. But your iniquities have made a separation. This is Isaiah 59:2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that he does not hear you. Separation from yourself. Augustine says, God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they find our rest in him. So when you're away from God, you're not calm and peaceful. And, and so from others, obviously, the woman made me eat the apple. You know, blaming somebody else. She blamed Eve. We blame other people for all of anything that goes wrong with us. So we are separated from three ways. From God, from ourselves, and from others. So we go, go to the handout now that you've got the handout there. And like I said, Cain just got cursed. And he says at lesson 14 here, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth, and whoever, whoever finds me will kill me. It sounds to me like Cain is totally unrepentant. In fact, he's being defiant of God. He's driven away from the ground because God has said to him, when you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. Then the Lord said to him in verse 15, Not so, if anyone... Oh, excuse me. I shall be a fugitive wonder, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, Nod means the land of wandering. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. He had already driven the presence of the Lord away with his sin. 
God is holy and he cannot have sin in his presence. The severity of God's judgment, in other words, the consequence, hits Cain, but like his father Adam, he blamed God for his predicament. In other words, I only killed somebody. Why am I being punished? From your face I shall be hidden. In the Jewish world, in the Hebrew language, the countenance of God is the blessing. It's the, it's the, uh, when God turns his face toward you, that's a blessing. When God turns his back to you, that's a curse. And that's what it, this talks about. It's from your face. I will be hidden. Cain continues his negative, uh, narrative, blaming God for judging him as he is a victim of God's unjust punishment. God does not withhold his presence from Cain. Cain hides himself from God. In other words, sin separates him. Who, who can see the face of God in the Beatitudes? In the Beatitudes, the pure at heart can see the face of God. Sin is obviously far from that. Cain is, hard, is obviously far far from that. Whoever finds me will kill me. Cain surmises that his fugitive status will make him an easy mark for death, especially among those who successfully work the land and profit. It, uh, it sounds like Cain says, it's okay for me to kill, but please don't let anybody kill me. In other words, I have a feeling that Cain is doing a lot of whining. <laughs> Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold, God says. Sevenfold obviously means total vengeance. Seven being a sign of totalness. God reserves the right of vengeance for himself. In other places, God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone should attack him. The Bible does not indicate what sort of mark is on Cain. It would have been recognized as a sign of God's protection on Cain. It did not prevent Cain from being attacked, assaulted. It only promised vengeance if anyone kills him. Nobody knows what the sign of Cain was. I was reading something, and evidently in the second century BC, a bunch of Hebrew writers were writing a commentary, and they said the mark of Cain was actually a big, vicious dog that he walked around with all the time to keep people from attacking him. Now, that's why I don't always trust commentaries. <laughs> Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. He didn't go away. He drove God away from him by his sin. In spite of God's protective mark, Cain remained defiant. There was no shame in Cain at all for killing. At least Adam and Eve had shame, but there's no shame in Cain. He's totally defiant. He refused to repent and rejected God's forgiveness. He was going away in not mere geography, but also in relations to God. And like I said, it goes to Nod, which is the land of wondering. Now, the next part of the chapter is these ex very exciting genealogies. So I, I know, and I'm not going to read them all because I don't want you to get whiplash when you fall asleep. <laughs> but... Why are all these genealogies in Scripture? I mean, you've got them here in, in Genesis. You've got them in Chronicles. It's got chapter after chapter of them. You've got them in Matthew. You've got them in Luke. Why does God put all those genealogies? Now, there's, God doesn't waste time putting stuff in the Bible. There's got to be a purpose for it. So why would you think all these genealogies are in the Bible? What makes it? So the Scripture that Jesus came from the line that that's part of it, yeah. 
Um, well, I've also heard under, my understanding, I've been taught, is one of the reasons is like they didn't say this happened in like the year uh, 500 BC or things like that. But they, I mean, kept time through like genealogies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. They kept time through genealogies. But it makes this book totally different from the other books of religion. In other words, the Quran or the or the uh, Later Day Saints uh, and all of that. What does it do? It puts this book firmly in history. In other words, the Bible is a history book as well as a religious book. And it talks about how God worked through history to bring about Jesus Christ and save us from our... The other books are another, are just books of principles and how to live and things like this. But this is firmly rooted in history. And an interesting thing was people have tried to disprove the Bible because the history is wrong and they end up every time proving the Bible is correct and their thoughts about history were wrong. In the late 1890s, uh, a scholar of uh, ancient uh, languages and stuff in England decided to take the book of Acts and prove that the Bible was wrong and it was all uh, make up, made up later on. And he went and traveled throughout the whole Mideast. He could speak a lot of the languages. And his name was Russell, I believe. I read one of his books. And he went all through the area and went to the, you know, Acts talks about the magistrate here was called so-and-so and the magistrate's name was so-and-so. And the boundaries between the uh, uh, areas were here and there. And he checked all of those and found out that Luke was the most accurate ancient historian on the record, and he came back a Christian. And we, we daily, uh, well not daily, but very often, when they dig a hole in Palestine somewhere, they come up like they found now a reference to King David when they said David didn't exist. A hundred years ago, the Hittites didn't exist, and then they found a whole Hittite kingdom. And before that, they said Moses couldn't have written the, written the books of the Bible because there wasn't any written language uh, 2000 B.C. And then they found written records that are way uh, earlier than that, like 25, 2700 years B.C. So every time they try to debunk the Bible, uh, the Bible is written in, uh, fixed in history, and so it is not a mytho mythological book as the higher criticisms, people say, the first ten chapters of Genesis is mythology. So now, now we get to the exciting part. <coughs> Cain knew his wife. He said, "Good morning, wife," and she bore a son, Enoch. <laughs> and, uh, I never have understood how that works, but then, when he built a city, he called the name of the city after his son, Enoch. And to Enoch was born so-and-so and so-and-so. And so. I'm not going to go through all of that. If you get excited about it, I'll let you read it. It is good for insomnia. <laughs> Cain knew his wife, and he built a city. In other words, he finally quit wondering and settled down. Now, the descendants of Cain, which, like I said, are listed on that sheet in the back, uh, <coughs> were very skilled craftsmen. you got to remember... The DNA of Adam and Eve was perfect. And the DNA, unfortunately, mutates 
as it progresses through history. We are not evolving upward. We're going down. Now, I may not like to hear that, but that's true. In fact, all all mutations that I know of, of DNA, even in dogs and horses and humans, means something is lost. Go ahead. Yeah. That being said, um, when we talk about like the mutation of DNA, is that why, we, like, when I talk to some people who are Catholic and they say, "Well, we don't know for sure if Adam and Eve actually lived 900 years," I mean, as we read on through Genesis, I mean, time spans get shorter and shorter from like 900 to 600 to 400. <laughs> I mean, is that just kind of part of like the mutation of DNA affected by sin? Well, I would I would say that's part of it, but I would say also. If God wanted to populate the world at the beginning, he could keep those people alive for 900 years. You know, and you got to remember, he had perfect DNA. There was no germs to speak of, no viruses and germs and things like that. There was no cancer in the world at that time. None of these things that we have today. So they very, uh, you know, very well could have lived a long time. Now, even when you get to, to, uh, Moses, he lived, what, uh, 120 years. And was, quote, full of vim and vigor, uh, when God buried him on Mount Pisgah. Now, when you get to Abraham, Abraham lived 180 years, you know, things like that. So even after the flood, although it shortened quite a bit, I agree. And whether or not those numbers are right, I don't know, but God put them in the Bible. I'm going to accept them as they are. Because once again, you had a pristine world and, uh, people had an almost perfect DNA. Now, the, uh, that's the reason that Cain married his sister. Now, we say we can't do that today because actually it makes the, the mutations of your DNA much faster. But in those days, with a perfect DNA, they had to, well, first of all, they had to marry a sister or anybody else. But, uh, the prohibition against, uh, marriage, intermarriage was not until well after the flood. In, uh, the note he's got here, Babylon and Canaanite mythologies described a beginning culture and civilization to the gods, not to mankind. The idea that early mankind could create without such skills is not surprising, given their proximity to Avenue's perfect knowledge, even out of the garden. The Bible affirms that they were endowed with great thinking and great creative skills, once again, contrary to popular evolutionary thought. Popular evolutionary thought says, we started as apes, and we're going to end up as, you know, saints, uh, angels or something. We're supposed to be progressing upward and upward and upward. I don't know. I've read 5,000 years worth of history, and I don't think we've gone up one step. And uh, so uh, popular evolutionary thought, like I said, as far as I know, maybe somebody here knows different, DNA, when it mutates, it almost always loses something. You can take the the dog that was created in the Genesis and he can turn him into a chihuahua, but you can't take a chihuahua and turn him into that wolf. We do the same thing with breeding of horses and, and all kinds of animals. Lamech said to his wives, Adah Adda and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives. Lamech listened to what I say, I have killed a man wounding me, a young man for striking me. Cain's revenge is sevenfold, Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. If that isn't pride, I don't know what it is. 
I have killed a young man, Cain's sin of murdering his brother Abel was repeated in his descendant. Now Lamech was the seventh from Adam on Cain's side. And he was a murderer like his great-great-great-grandfather Cain was. And he was also a polygamist. He says, my revenge is 77-fold. In other words, I'm more powerful than God. God is only sevenfold, and I'm going to be 77-fold. If that isn't being defiant, I don't know. And then we come to the next one. Adam knew his wife, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. And she said, God has appointed me for another offspring instead of Abel. And Cain killed him. To Seth also was born Enosh, etc. It is believed that, or some of the commentaries say, when Seth was born, Eve thought this was going to be the seed that would crush the head of the serpent. And so she was looking at Seth. Unfortunately, he wasn't. In other words, the next line, and she bore a son, Seth, the offspring, offspring through which the enmity would come to save the world. In other words, the enmity he's putting here is, I will put enmity between your seed and his, uh, between my seed and his seed. In, in uh, Genesis 3, the enmity is between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And he, and he will crush, he will strike his heel, the serpent will strike the heel, and the, the seed of Eve will crush his head. God has appointed to me another. Now, when we get to Noah, Noah was also looked at as possibly the one who would crush the head of the serpent. And at this time, they called upon the name of the Lord. Literally, one called oneself by the name of Yahweh, the bright light of people responding to faith, corresponding and the worship, desiring to be associated with the Creator God. The actual name of Yahweh was not in the garden. It was not known until God did not reveal his name until Moses at the burning bush. But uh, Moses, of course, would know the name when he wrote this up. The next we go to chapter 5. I'm going to put a little insert in here. The Old the Old Testament, this was supposed to be a handout, but anyway. The Old Testament has many places where archetypes or prefigures are the final or prefigures the final gospel in the New Testament. A couple of these have we've already covered. In Genesis three fifteen, the serpent I will be put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his bruise his heel. This has been called the proto evangelum, in other words, the prototype of the good news. Proto evangelum. They all wrote in Latin in those days, but it was the prototype of the good news. In other words, it is the foreknowledge that eventually the serpent will be destroyed. Abel offered a sacrifice of a lamb, prefiguring the lamb of the Passover, the lamb of the Day of Atonement, the declaration of the John of Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the lamb in Revelations chapter 4, if you remember that, he was the one that was able to take the scroll from the hand of God. The ark itself is a type of Christ all who are in the ark are saved from God's wrath of the flood. All who are in Christ are saved from the final wrath of God. 
those who were outside of the ark were the ones that suffered the wrath of God. Now, I <coughs> uncovered one thing, and the covering of the ark, some of you went to see the ark. I don't know how many are in here went to that, but uh, went to see the ark. But the ark had a covering of pitch, and the Hebrew word kapar is the root word that is used for the pitch or the covering of the ark. It can all the root word can also mean atonement or perpetuation, and so you would say, "Boy, they got a wide variety of meanings for that word," but that's the way it is. And the same word is used for the covering of another ark, the covering of the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant uses that same word, the mercy seat, which protects you from the punishment of the law. So. Once again, you've got something in Genesis that goes uh, into the rest of the Bible. There's a, there's a lot in the Old Testament that does that, and if you watch for it, you can find it. Now, they wouldn't know it at the time that it happened. We know it because we can look back on it. Uh, let's see, where am I? I am not going to bore you with uh, the ten short paragraphs of living so many years, giving birth to a child, and then living so many extra years. The the numbers, Adam lived 930 years, Seth 912, Enosh 905, Danan 910, Mahalia 895, Jared 962, and then we come to Enoch. And Enoch walked with God and was seen no more. Now, all of the other write-ups end up with, and he died, whereas Enoch ends up with, he has seen no more. And it is firmly believed that Enoch, along with Elijah, went up to heaven uh, directly without any death. And then we come to Methuselah, and he was 969 years. And then there's another Lamech, and he lived 777 years. Uh, oh, there it is. Now, the interesting part about this, when you take all of that, Adam lived almost 930 years. All the other people who were born in this list were alive, or Adam was still alive when they were adults. And they could have heard the creation story directly from Adam. The only one in there that didn't, wasn't alive when Adam was alive was Noah. And he was born after Adam died. But all of the rest of them, could have heard the story directly from Adam. So you can work it out that way. Now, when you get to the flood, the only two, there was just before the flood, there was three of them alive. But after the, just before the flood, the other two died and Noah was the only one alive. So they had all died out and the whole world was corrupt because there was only Noah and his family that wasn't corrupt. Now, is there any other questions on the the uh, genealogy of? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. So, I have a question. So, with the, the flood at Noah, right? We've got the Canaanites, we've got the Babylonians. They're off doing their own thing, corrupting against God. So, the flood happens. We restart. How do those societies come back to uh, prevalence? 
Who hmm. Noah's people, those... Oh, Noah. Well, you got Shem, Hef, and Jephthah, uh, the sons of Noah. And they went out, and they started the Babylonian societies and the, and the, and the Canaanite societies, and, and all of those were started after the flood. There's some more genealogies in there that'll <laughs> give, you, give you that information. But Cain's line is entirely done with the flood. Oh, yeah. Cain's line is wiped out with the flood. In other words, there wasn't anything savable in the Cain's line. When you read, I think it's Genesis 15, God is talking to, to uh, Abraham. And he said, your people, your, your uh, children of Abraham are going to go into captivity for 400 years because the sins of the Ammonites, Canaanites, and all of these people are not yet complete. And that's in Genesis 15. And so God waits and is very patient. But sooner or later, he says, that's enough. And he brought the flood. He brought the Israelites to the land of Cana and wiped out the Amorites and some of those. In other words, he's patient, but he, the judgment of God eventually gets to you. He said in there, he was patient because he wants all to be saved. Yeah. How long did you say Adam lived? Adam was, uh, what did I say, 930 years. I can, uh, if somebody, if you wanted a copy of this thing, I can uh, have, uh, I can have Gina print it up for you. <laughs> I can't. Pardon? Oh, I'm sure that, I mean, this only names the leaders of the, Thing. I'm sure there is multiple uh, sons and daughters born through this time frame. I mean, when the flood hit, I'm sure there was probably a million people that got killed. It's 1,600 years. That's a long time. If we go back 1,600 years, we are in the, the time of St. Augustine. That's how long that is. We don't, we don't, Americans particularly don't know their history. <laughs> and, uh, I spent 15 years in Europe, and there isn't a European that I ran into that didn't know his history and remembered it vividly. <laughs> so, uh, and he remembered all the things he disliked too <laughs> about other people who had persecuted him for hundreds of years. Now there was one other thing here before I get into the next bit. Oh, I did I? Oh, I was going to say. The Babylonian Canaanite mythologies, there's also a Sumerian and Akkadian mythologies that uh, they have really long lived peoples. They had eight kings that reigned for 72,000 years. So you talk about living a long time. <laughs> but that was their part of their mythology. But they have no, no footprint in history. They also have records or record the flood. The only the other thing I wanted to bring up before I get to the other item is in Genesis uh, back on I guess the next to the last page, mankind he made in the likeness of God. No room for an evolutionary process by which man came into being. In other words, Bera means he created out of nothing. With the fall into sin, the image of God was restored under the faith in Jesus Christ. Ultimately occurring at the resurrection of the dead. Yeah. And I go to Hebrews, and it says about 
Christ. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the power of his word. In other words, Christ was the exact copy of God. John, 1 John 3, Beloved, we are now children of God, and he has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. So, what? there's a lot of debate over this as to what is the image of God. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam a living, life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, we shall be, we, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. And also, I might add, he created them male and female, not anything you want to be whenever you want to be it. But what is the image of God in man? What does that mean? Any ideas? It is very nebulous in the in the books. I look at it, it gave you a mind which is separate from the brain. A mind, reason, the the ability to think in abstract form, and that's basically what I look at when I look at the image, because we are able to plan way ahead. We are able to remember what happened in the past. Animals can't do that very well. I mean, you can train an animal, and he'll remember his training, but he doesn't remember his great-grandfather. And he doesn't plan for the next hundred years. Of course, we don't either anymore. We only plan. We're lucky if we plan for tomorrow. But uh, that's my opinion of, of what is the image of God. Yeah. You mentioned you lived in Europe, so you just said that our planning. I'm just curious if that culture, given their knowledge of history um, and, and um, appreciation of their past and of their persecution, do they plan better, in your opinion, than we do as Americans? They have a they have a much not as loose a society. Their their society is much more structured. I think you can confirm that, but. Uh, for instance, when I was living in Germany, the the Germans build their highways and they have it already planned out that they're going to completely replace this road, you know, 20 years from now. And they come in 20 years from now and they put in a whole new road and they build their free uh, autobahns the same way. Uh, they go out and they, they build them and then they're there for 20 years. And then go back. I don't care if it, it may not need it. It's going to get replaced anyway. But it, you know, it's usually long enough where it needs it. But they they plan long term like that. And uh, but they remember their history. I did a, a paper when I was in the the uh, uh, NATO Defense College, and it had to do with Yugoslavia. And they were wondering what's going to happen when Yugoslavia breaks up, or will it break up when Tito dies? And I wrote a paper that they didn't like at all. And I said, they're going to fragment into all kinds of different ethnic groups because they all hate each other. you got to remember in World War II, you had the, I forget what the names of them, one was the Chechens, I can't remember what the other group was, 
they were killing each other right and left, as long as well as you know the Germans being in there, and uh, they once once that uh, Tito and the, the, the pressure from the government relaxed a little bit, they broke apart completely. I've talked to Belgians, and you got the Belgian Volumes and you got the Belgian uh, Flems, and they don't get along too good sometimes. That the Belgian went without a government for. I don't know, six months or something, uh, because they couldn't talk to each other. One of them speaks French, one of them speaks Dutch. And they don't like the British, because the British created them. <laughs> At least the ones I talked to. Let's see. Oh, we got a few minutes. I'm going to cover a little bit in Chapter 6, since... I, I can't stand any more genealogies. Now, this this was supposed to be the handout. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to men, and the sons of God and the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whoever whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old. First item I wanted to talk about, who are the sons of God? To me, uh, in the the, uh, commentaries, they can be anything from demons to angels to... uh, all kinds of violent people. I, I don't know where these people get these things from. I looked up sons of God in the scripture. It appears ten times in scripture, the term sons of God. All ten of them, well, except for this one evidently, refer to those who follow God's law and wants, and wants to follow God. In other words, the sons of God are those who are obedient to Christ or to God. But all of a sudden, in this one instance in Genesis, there are a bunch of demons and stuff, and I, I haven't figured out why anybody would do that. To me, they are the sons of Seth. <clears throat> now, what has what has happened here is the sons of God and the daughters of men, the daughters of, of men being the daughters of the Canaan, Canaanite line, were starting to mingle together. And if you remember throughout the whole scripture, one of the very important things about the Israelites, they had to stay separate and not mix. What happens when you mix the church today with outside society? As soon as you mix it, it's like taking a straight line and putting a little curve in it. What have you got? you got a broken line. You got a bro- There is no more straight line. The truth cannot be bent. It is either truth or it's false. It's not a little bit false. But that's what's happened here. It's called syncretism. And it happens, a lot of churches do that now. They mix in, you know, what is popular in society will do it in the church that way. I just heard that the Church of Scotland, which is a, was once the Church of John Knox and a very strict Presbyterian church, is thinking now about having their ministers give same-sex marriages. So it's, it creeps in and creeps in and creeps in, and pretty soon you have no Christianity at all. Yeah. Now, who were the Nephilim? I'm yeah. confused on who the Nephilim. 
once again, I've got about ten different types of that. The word itself means giants. Giants. So, to me, that's a bunch of Goliaths running around. Uh, but it also can mean a very violent person. In other words, somebody who has no restrictions on them at all. So, I just haven't heard much about this yet. Yeah, yeah. But the word itself just means giants. And the last thing I got is, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were evil continually. The Lord was sorry he made man on earth and he was grieved in his heart. Was this a surprise to God? In other words, God gave us 1,600 years to do it right. We messed it up the first time, so we flooded the place and we started over. And now we've got, what, 4,000 years and we haven't done it right yet. So there was no surprise. The fact that it says God was grieved, that's just an anthropomorphic statement about God, like God is arms too short or something like that. Uh, God is a spirit. He doesn't have things like that. And he doesn't He doesn't say, oops, I did something wrong. Yeah. And I think that verse uh, 6 that you just were reading, that the Lord saw that man was wicked on the earth, that was and yeah. I've had a lot of um, pushback on that from people that say, well, Lord, God knew everything as we believe from before the creation. He knew everything is going to happen. And so he would know that this is all going to happen. Yes. And yet the verse says he, re he repented or he uh, was... Uh, that is like I said that's an anthropomorphic in other words we try to make God so that we can understand him in other words we can't understand the spirit but we can understand when we put him in human terms there's no human parts in God you know except in Christ but uh, so to me that just means uh, it, it's to talk to us that God doesn't like what's going on. But he knew it was going to happen. When was Christ designated to die on the cross? Before the foundations of the earth. He knew all of it before it even got started. As I told you once before, I think God knows everything that's going to happen, has happened, and will happen. And uh, he doesn't make it happen. He lets us mess it all up. That feeling of grief is probably very similar to what he's going to feel in Revelations when he has to tell people, even though he loves them, that, you know, go yeah. right? It's the same exact grief because we had 1,600 years and they had, I mean, the might have said was to go to them. And those other people had the chance. So that's why he felt grief because they had the chance to repent. Yeah. They didn't. It's the same thing that comes up in Revelations. Well, yeah, it says another place God doesn't take pleasure in the, in the, uh, death of any sinner. It doesn't, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know it's going to happen. He just doesn't take pleasure in it. So we are, I'm out. And uh, if there's any other questions, like I said, I'm sorry the printout didn't get to you because I had to read a lot of stuff. But uh, anyway, I'd like to say Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in here and all the grandmothers and probably some great grandmothers. And uh, Anybody that takes care of and raises kids, I would say Happy Mother's Day to them.
So if we can close with prayer. Father, we thank you this day for your word and that we may learn more about you and your grace and love. This Mother's Day, bless all the mothers, grandmothers, etc., and all who love and care for your children. On this, in case you didn't know it, it's VE Day. On this VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, 77 years ago, we once again have peace. We, uh, excuse me, on this VE Day, may we once again have peace in Europe and lead and Lord change the hearts of the aggressors toward peace. Watch over us throughout this week, Lord. Be with Pastor Adi as he comes back from Bernie, Texas. And be with us throughout the week. And we may gather again next Sunday. Amen.